Soon the bills will be for all destruction. Good morning. It's good to be here, as the pastor said, and good to hear the lesson on the squirrel. I feel a little squirrely at times. I'm going to speak from the Gospel of John today, the Lord willing, the Lord helping me. Thank you for your prayers. It's been a joy for me to be here. This time rolls by quickly, doesn't it? Turn with me to the sixth chapter of John. We're going to begin reading about verse 60. And let me give you just a preview. You're familiar with this chapter. This, the Lord has been preaching and teaching in the Capernaum, at the synagogue at Capernaum, and He's delivered a very startling message to them. Um, and um, it's not very well received. The Scripture says in verse 60, Many therefore of His disciples, when they had heard this, this teaching, this preaching, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, unto His disciples, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where He was before? It is the Spirit that giveth life, The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples, notice the term, his disciples. We find that in verse 60, his disciples. In verse 61, we find another, the same thing. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, these are his pupils, these are his followers. They had been his followers up to this point. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, 
will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Not all of you think this way. That's what he's fixing to say. Even you twelve. He answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he that should betray him being one of the twelve. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, yes, it is hard. It's interesting that in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 10, uh, Jeremiah in his commission to preach the Word of God gives us some characteristics of what is involved in hearing the truth, what the truth does. It's an interesting text, Jeremiah 1, 10, it says, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, listen to this, to root out. That is the, the truth of God, you're going to get it. There's inevitably things that's got to be rooted out of you in the course of you sitting under the Word of God. And this commission is to the preacher. This is what I'm going to do. It's not what a preacher can do, but it's what God is going to do through the ministry of the Word. He's going to root out and listen to pull down. There's some things that's been built up in time in your life that is going to be pulled down by the truth. Building projects you've been working on a long time. Things that have been well entrenched that ought not to be there. They will be pulled down. This is the dimension of truth. And to destroy. <laughs> it's got to go. It's got to perish. It's got to be destroyed. And to throw down. To throw it down. These are violent things and they're not easy. Yes, it's hard. It's hard if you are in, in the position with God that you've got something in your life that is not right and the truth touches it. And it needs to be rooted out or pulled down or destroyed and to be thrown down. Don't think that God is going to let you into heaven Less than perfect. He saves us from our sins. He saves sinners. But His grand design in saving us is not just for us to miss hell, but to be conformed completely. God is not kidding, and He's not on a excursion to fail at this mission. He's paid awful price to accomplish this, to bring all of us with everything that is earthly, sensual, devilish, out of order, disobedient, anything that's a problem, to root it out of our life and to bring us into all points to the conformity of Christ. But notice not only to throw down and to build. This is the positive thing. To build in the place of what has been unnecessary, harmful, and destructive, God is going to build 
something beautiful, something wonderful, something happy. The building that he is working on in our lives is conforming us again in our temperament, in our thought pattern, in our speech, in our attitude, in our habit to Christ's likeness. And man, that's fine when we get there. Any degree of happiness that you have this morning is because of your identity and likeness to Christ. Holiness is not misery to us. It's heaven. It's heaven to be holy. It's glorious to be free. To build and to plant. Now the Christian life brings us to face to face with two dimensions of reality which are required. We are required to believe all that is true. Now this is interesting and we're going to get into this text uh, God does not like lies. The devil likes lies. The Father likes truth. He is truth. Jesus is the truth. And the thing that we do, that we find when we're following God, when we commit to Christ, we are brought face to face with two dimensions of reality in which we are required. It's not optional. But we're going to have to, we're required to stay with the truth all the way to wherever that truth leads. First, reality is all that is true of God. And of course, all that is true of God's only begotten Son. This is not optional. In other words, we don't, we, we, there is the risk, the scripture presents this, that many people start out but they don't finish with the same Jesus. Is that so? In fact, Paul in Galatians, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed, what? From Him. You have to stay on track with the same Jesus. And wherever His truth leads, all that is true of God is not just optional. You know, I dare say that none of us who are older Christians at the time, in fact, I know it's true, you did not understand if you've been serving the Lord and following the Lord for years, you can say affirmatively that when you first started this journey with Jesus, though it was you're answering His call, you did not understand all about Him then as you understand now. You're learning of Him. In that fact, that's in fact that is academic. That is a given in the Christian life that when you enlist to follow Jesus, you're on an educational program that will last all of your life. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So we're always learning. And so there's a lot of new things that we're learning. New dimensions. We didn't know them at the beginning. In fact, we basically come into the Christian life ignorant. I think that... Uh, I think I've learned more, and I know that I know more about how sinful I was after I've been saved than I did before I was saved. So we are learning. And we may be ignorant at first of many of the attributes and characteristics and the ways of the Lord, but we are to grow. We're to move on. We're to stay on track with our Lord Jesus, to move on. The scripture, there's an Old Testament text that says, let us, and it's interesting, let us follow on to know the Lord. 
knowing the Lord. I know Him. But I want to continue to know Him. And I want to follow on. And one day, as we follow Him, the glorious thing is that we're going to all arrive at that ultimate sight and understanding of all that God is when you behold Him as He is. And you have the capacity in you by the grace of God to appreciate all that He is. Man, what a wonderful sight when you understand God in His fullness. And this is God's program for us as we continue in the faith. Ephesians 4.13 says, it's an interesting thing that we're in this transition period. We're not there yet, but God is always working on us. And one day we're going to come into the, as it were, the unity of the faith. And into a perfect man, unto the measure of the the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now the unbelieving Jews throughout the sermon that Jesus had been preaching had been interrupting him. In fact, his sermon was, he was actually preaching to these Jews uh, a message about putting him into their stomachs. And it was highly offensive to them. This thing, how can this man give us his flesh? In fact, Jesus was preaching to them that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have any life in you. And this idea of cannibalism was something that was obnoxious and offensive to them. You know, the Jews just did not touch blood. And now Jesus talks about drinking His blood and eating His flesh. And they are highly offended. In fact, not only does it outrage them, the fact that He's telling them that they must. Here He is. Ten fingers, ten toes, a nose, Eyes, a man, and he's saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. What's he saying? But what really blows them away, here he is saying, I've come down from heaven. I'm not even from here. That really gets them. In fact, look at verse 41. Verse 41, he said, and John, yes, 6.41 Then the Jews murmured at him. Notice the Jews. This is the unbelieving Jews. Murmured at him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Then in verse 52, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so this is offensive to them. The fact that they're hearing that he is claiming to come out of heaven. Well, that's an impossible thing. In fact, in verse 42, they said, this just can't be because we know your mom and daddy. You're saying you're from God? Look in verse 42, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? In fact, oh, he looks a little bit like his mother, don't you think? And he's saying he's come down from heaven. How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven. It was impossible in their minds because they rationalized in their carnal thinking, we know his mom and daddy, we know that he's been raised among us. And for him to make this claim that he's come down from heaven, impossible. Now what Christ does is he doesn't stutter. He doesn't say, well, 
I know this is a little too hard for you, so let me retract my, what I've said. And let me word it a little softer for you. No, he repeats it as it were and affirms that I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am divine. I am God. And unless you consume me, you're going to perish. Now what's interesting, the criticism moves out of the mouth of his enemies and enters into the mouths of his pupils. It is not just now in verse 60, the Jews, the unbelieving Jews. Now they're the ones who've been interrupting the sermons. But at the close of the sermon, as it were, the, the pupils, the disciples, the followers, the ones that have been committed, they're scratching their heads and notice, and they said when they had heard this. It's interesting in verse 60. They make this statement, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? It's interesting how the New English Bible translates this verse. And it's really, I think, the, the real heart of what they were saying. And it goes something like this. This is so difficult, this is more than we can stomach. In other words, you're talking about putting us into your, putting you into our stomachs and that's going to be essential for us to have eternal life? Well, that's more than we can stomach. Now, what the problem was, they were hearing, as it were, a dimension of His divinity. They were hearing new truth that put Him in a different life than they were used to. They were learning, as it were, there was a larger, fuller, deeper dimension of His divinity than they had previously understood or believed. And this new truth is hard to accept. Now Christ knew what they were thinking. They didn't, they are not voicing audibly their discontent or their trouble with this. It's an inward thing. Man, this is hard. And notice in verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself, he always knows what you're thinking. And he knew that they were in grave danger of stumbling or being offended. And stumbling means falling away. He knew that they were on the brink of falling away. And the amazing thing, he doesn't try to retract or modify these hard sayings. He doesn't try to remold the real nature of salvation. He doesn't try to soften the reality, the truth about God that that He is divine, that His has an eternal, unique relationship with the Father. He is one with God. In fact, He tells His disciples in verse 62, He says, What and if you see, you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where He was before. He's telling His disciples, He said, You think that this is far-fetched, that I'm claiming to have come down from heaven? Wait till you see me literally ascend back up into heaven. <laughs> what if you see that? He said, what are you saying? If you can't go with me and stay on track with this truth of my exclusive divinity at this stage, if you're going to depart, you're not going to be able to handle any fuller, 
any larger, any greater dimensions of my deity. And furthermore, besides, if you do not believe me after seeing the signs that you've already seen, if you don't accept my words, you see, it's not the flesh and sights that make conversions. It's not seeing miracles that makes conversions. It's believing the word, believing the truth. And the Lord is saying, if you do not believe my truth after seeing the signs that you've already seen, even if you've seen me ascend back up into heaven, would that do any good? If you do not accept my word? Now the point is this, beloved. If we go with God, we have to go with all the claims and truths made by the Son of God. And we've got to accept, you know, we're not, again, we're not free in this pilgrimage of following on to know the Lord. We're not free when we come across a truth of God that is hard, difficult, demanding. We're not free to pick and choose. We have to accept it all and bow to it all. Christ did not make it easier for them or concede to their ignorance, their unbelief, or their error. He pushes them on to a decision. Are you going to go with me? As God's truth about Himself and His will and His way is made known to us, are we ready for it? Are we going to go on with it? This is, again, when you're following God, God's truth is going to be ever enlarging, ever unfolding, ever discovering. That's His nature. The nature of truth, as we've already seen, is to what? Root out. Pull down. Destroy, throw down, to build and to plant. Now the second realm of truth that Christianity addresses is truth not just about God. And we must not turn aside from following Christ and all of His dimensions of truth about Himself, about God. But we're also in this thing of discipleship faced with the reality of truths about ourselves. Who we are. What we are. What is wrong about us. When you are saved and forgiven, you still got a lot of things that are wrong. When you are immediately forgiven of your sins, you coming into the Christian life, you're not perfect. You've got years of baggage. That's accumulated on you. You've got a lot of growth that's sprung up in your life. And so you've got things that need changing. Because if they're not changed, in fact it is this, it's those things about us that need changing that gives us our difficulty, our problems, our discouragement, our darkness. And it's to the degree that we follow the truth it's to the degree that we yield to the truth, that we have freedom. Then Jesus said to those disciples that believed upon, if you continue in my word, then shall you be my what? Disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And so it is true. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're complete in Christ and we have His righteousness the moment we believe. But oh, as we proceed in our discipleship and our following of the Lord, 
we're going to get freer. Can you imagine that? We're going to get happier. We're going to get better. We're going to get holier. We're going to take on more and more of the dimension of the Lord Jesus. And our experience is wonderful. You start following Jesus Christ and you begin to learn all sorts of things about yourself that you haven't known before. Things that haven't, to a point, come to light. Things that may have been there a long time. Deeply rooted trees. Or it may have been things that you may have picked up. It's an amazing thing that sometimes Christians in their pilgrimage pick up things that's not right. And they start doing something along the way that they shouldn't do. Things that God doesn't approve of and that are hurting your life. But the time will come and God will deal with these things and you must put them away and move on to more joy, more liberty, more freedom in Christ. Now, in this dialogue from verse 60 through the end of the chapter, the Lord exposes all sorts of things to be true of these disciples. Now, these are pupils. And notice, He's not, as it were, directing His comments now to the crowd in general, to the unbelieving Jews that didn't want Him anyway, but His pupils. He says some things. Verse 61, notice he, he understands that now his teaching has hit a sore spot in their life. And he says in verse 61, he says, Doth, He said unto his disciples, Doth this offend you? Does the truth offend you? That is, that's what truth does, folks. Sometimes it offends us. It hits a sore spot. It touches an area that really we wanted to keep hidden. It brings something to light that we would rather stay in darkness. And so when the truth gets there and discloses that, it's an offensive thing. And Jesus asked, does this offend you? You know, it's amazing. He said, notice, does this offend you? Doth this. In other words, as long as, long as I'm talking about other things, these other things are preached about and talked about, you're okay, you're fine. But it's when this area, doth this offend you? Isn't that the way it is? You know, if we can hear sermons just on a certain line and a general sort, we're happy. But when the truth gets really down deep and personal, and it touches the poor spot, and it's when this area is touched and exposed and revealed, then it becomes hard. It's hard to accept it. It's hard to accept sometimes that, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm faithful in church. Yes, I defend the faith and I do a lot of good things, but I've got something that is horribly out of order in my own life. A point of sin and disobedience which prevents you from going forward. An issue that is out of order. A thing not corrected. In fact, if it is not corrected, if it is not changed, it is no just laughing matter. Folks, it is a point of stumbling. 
a stumbling block. I've had people say at times, well, preacher, I've got this little problem, but you know it's a little thing, it's no big deal. Brother, let me tell you, it is a big deal. If you've got a known area of sin in your life, it is a big deal. Well, I'm forgiven. Yes, you are. You've got to get rid of that thing. Because you are forgiven. And if you don't get rid of it, it may be that you prove that you're not forgiven. Isn't that right? You know, there's a Song of Solomon verse that says, It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Mars your fruitfulness. The little things. So it's not just a little deal. This something may keep you back from following on to know the Lord. As I said, salvation is not just a starting process, folks. It's a starting, staying, and finishing process. There's something else that the Lord says to these disciples. Not only has they, they been offended, but He's saying you're, too, you're using your carnal reasoning too much about this business. You're too much in the flesh. He says to them in verse 63, The flesh profiteth nothing. Now can a Christian have carnality? You read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul accuses the Corinthians of being very carnally minded. You're carnal. There's something in, there's a habit or a practice that can be carnal. It's not spiritual at all. A bondage. A practice. Fleshly. Earthly. And it's doing you no good. If you're bound up in something. Whatever it may be. And I found out that it doesn't matter. Whether you're bound up in something that's lawful. Or bound up in something that's unlawful. You're under bondage. You're under, you're under an oppression. I've often said the devil doesn't mind whether you're addicted to cocaine or chocolate. Just so you're addicted and you're possessed. Now that's a little extreme, but what I'm saying, freedom. Freedom. Carnality. The Word of Christ touches this, and when He does touch this issue, what do you need to do? You need to let it go. I've had issues in my life that the Lord has touched. I remember one time, and I, I know that some of you have heard this, many of you have heard this if you've heard some of my messages, but I had a real addiction to Indian relics one time, a real chronic addiction. And I can remember sitting in my office in my home one time, I had all of these arrowheads hanging all over the wall, and God spoke to me, and He said, you're going to give these things up. God spoke to me clear, you're going to give these things up. And I revolted in my heart, I said, man, I can't give these up. But I did. <laughs> <laughs> Man, let me tell you, if God touches an area in your life and says, you've got to give it up, folks, you've got to let go of it. You've got to put it off, not continue with this. Mortify it, the Scripture says. Put it to death. Why? You think God is interested in just keeping you from good, wholesome things? No! If your heart in any way is attached inordinately to something in this world, regardless of how good it may be in itself... If your heart is there and your affections are there, your affections are being drawn away from Christ onto those things and Christ is being robbed of His due love and glory. And not to give Him all of your affections the same to Him is giving Him none. 
Give me all. My son, give me all thy heart. So let it go. Turn from it. Mortify it. First Peter 2, 1 says, Wherefore laying aside all wickedness and all guile and all hypocrisies and deceit and evil speaking. Lay it aside. Here's something else that Jesus says in verse 64 to his disciples, his pupils. Notice this is a really an astonishing thing to say to church people. In verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. Isn't that an amazing word? Some disciples discover along the way that they're not real disciples at all. You know, there's lots of folks that are deeply involved in the affairs of Christianity. Studying doctrine, hearing sermons, attending Bible studies, learning, participating, even coming so familiar with Bible doctrine that they can defend the things of the Lord out in public. But in the midst of all of this activity and learning, sometimes those that are involved in the externals of Christianity, a bombshell explodes in their mind and heart and it is made known to them by the word of the Lord that they're not true disciples at all. It's a powerful word, an unmistakable word. It's the Lord's voice. You're not a Christian at all. Oh, I know that you try to talk like one. You try to look like one. You rub shoulders with real Christians. But you're really lost. You're undone. You're yet unsaved and in your sins. You're a good pretender. Nobody, in fact, people around you, if you were to let them know that you're really not a Christian and you know that about yourself, they'd be shocked. They just couldn't believe it if you said you weren't a Christian. I knew this lady a few years ago down in Texas. If, I th- if anyone in the world you would have judged to be a true Christian, you would have judged her to be one. And then after years of faithful service in the church and, and just an almost impeccable life, she uh, went through this terrible, terrible period in her life. And, and you, she said it was very plain to her and she knew it for so long that she wasn't really a Christian. She wasn't really saved. And God in His mercy saved her. And now she's on course and she's walking with the Lord truly. But I'm just telling you folks, you can fool everybody in the world, but you know, if the Lord makes this word known to you, it's never too late this side of death and hell to find out that you are one of the disciples that believe not. You're not really real. But notice this, let's go a little further in what the Lord says. In verse 70, (laughs) this is interesting, He says, even after a little further conversation, after Peter is even given a good testimony, Jesus answered them and said, now listen to this word, have I not chosen you twelve, 
and one of you is a devil. Isn't that amazing? Can it be that even in the midst of ministry, there are some that are not just ordinary, as it were, unbelieving church people. There are some people that are actually involved in ministry full time and that are doing, as it were, the work of the Lord and helping others who, if the truth was known, that they are bona fide devils within. That can be true. People that are even involved in ministry can appear real good outwardly, but be monsters of sin and iniquity on the inside. We find an occasion in Acts 8.23 of Simon, the sorcerer, who was baptized. And the scripture says he believed. And he was all enthused about the excitement associated with the gospel and the miracles of God. But when it was later discovered that he wanted to buy the power, He wanted to make merchandise of the things of God. Peter said unto him that he was in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Beloved, what a tragedy it is to see men that men have claimed to be men of God and had reputations and respect among the flock of God to find out sometime in the course of their ministry that they are really in the gall of iniquity, the gall of unbelief and the bond of iniquity. It happens, beloved. And Jesus knows. He was not surprised Jesus Christ didn't understand and know exactly who it was that did not believe and who was a devil. But the crowd didn't know. In fact, good disciples, he was never discovered. Judas was never suspected by any of the good disciples. Jesus knew all along. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus gave him various hints along the way. I know one of you what you are. I think there was even mercy in that. I think... If you're a phony at this thing, if you're playing and pretending and a hypocrite, and the word of the Lord is coming to you and saying, I know who you are. There's a mercy there, folks. Deal with it. You say, well, what are people going to think? What does it matter what they think? If you're lost, my friend, if you're without God, if you've never been changed, if you are really in the bond of sin and iniquity, come on out of it and tell I'm lost. Deal with the truth. It's a vital that you do. Now there are two things that we draw from this episode that are pretty serious insights that our Lord is teaching us and giving us. Let me give them to you. First truth is that the truth of God that we will be forced and required to face in our life is going and will be hard and bothersome. And difficult. In fact, this is the real main crux and the main reason why there are so few Christians. Truth is going to be hard, and it's going to be hard to face all the consequences of the truth. You remember one time Jesus said, Do you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? You think that I've come basically to save everybody that you know and everybody that's in your family? He said, I'll tell you what I've come. I've come to divide your family. I've come to set a father against the son and the son against the father. I've come to set a mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. I've come to do this. That's the way it's going to be. It's going to be hard. And if you don't come to me, 
If you're not willing to meet the terms of discipleship to lay down your own life and give yourself fully to me and love me more than father or mother, sister or brother, son or daughter, you cannot be my disciple. It's hard. Ultimately, it's the most glorious thing you'll ever do, but there's going to be division. You're going to have to leave some things behind. All of what God has to say about Himself and about us is not going to be soft or easy or pleasing to our flesh and blood. I'm telling you folks, this ingrained habit that I had in my life, and one time I had a, in church an inordinate affection that was growing too fond. An inordinate affection. And God smote that thing down. And it wasn't easy, folks. It's not easy when you've got a sin in your life and you're overtaken in something that's not wrong and a sin is besetting your life. It's not an easy thing to deal with it. It's hard. But it's a lot easier than not dealing with it. We all have errors that need to be corrected. We have evils that must be eliminated. It is always to our eternal good. If we are, if the truth is touching us and bothering us, that's to our eternal good. Woe unto us if we withdraw from the discomfort of being discovered by the Word of God. You will never amount to anything now or later if you're not willing to face and deal with what's not right. What's out of order? What needs reproof and rebuke? What needs correction? Oh, we like the soft sayings, don't we? We like, we like certain sayings at times, but there's certain sayings that's, too, that's hard. This is a hard saying. It's not easy for any of us to have the whole of what we believe and the whole of what we are open and naked before the truth of the Word of God. But if you've got something in you that you're not believing that's right, you've got to get that error out. If you have something in your life that's not right, you see, it's, it's our sin, it's our error, it's our unbelief that makes the hard sayings hard. You know why they're hard? Because we're hard. We've got this thing that is out of order, inordinate, wrong, sinful. And if you do have, the Lord in His mercy is bringing you again to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And so it's necessary and good to be bothered. I found out this is the way it always is. You've got to be bothered about some sorrow proceeds joy. It's hard before it's easy. You've heard this statement. No pain, no gain. Someone told me one time, said, Brother Don, I think so-and-so left mad at what you had to say today. I said, that's okay. Because I found out you've got to get mad before you can get glad. 
if you got something out of order in your life and God touches it and exposes it and deals with it, you got to get mad. Deal with it. What we think is hard will turn out to be easy. You see, that's what made the, see, this is a lie that the devil comes. Man, that's the hardest thing in the world for you to stand up and confess that. That's, that's really in your life. You, you can't do that. That's just too hard. That'd be too embarrassing. You just can't do that. You'll find that if you'll deal with something that's not right and be honest about it and open about it and get it out and open, get it clear, get it before God, get rid of it, mortify it, put it away, leave it behind. You do that. That's the easiest thing in the world you'll ever do. I was dreading this. God told me. I can remember God told me you're going to give this thing up. I said, I can't do that. Well, he ripped it out of me. And then when he did, and I confessed, oh God, I've had this idol in my life. Forgive me. The Lord flooded my heart with so much joy and peace and insight into His glory and into the transit nature of this world. I'll tell you, I wouldn't take anything in the world for what God showed me. But let me me tell you, beloved, what you think is hard will turn out to be easy. And what you think is easy is holding on to that sin or keeping that thing covered up. That'll turn out to be hard. Why? Because it'll prove to be a stumbling block. You can't go on with Jesus. Stay on course with Jesus without it. You see, the issue in all of us when we're confronted with sin or error or failure is, are we going to go on with Jesus? You see, that really what it boils down to. You know, in some way, even after the people left him, began to fall away. The scripture says in verse 66, from that time, you know, there was a point and there was a time when issues were dealt with and they were exposed. They couldn't handle them. They wouldn't go on with the truth. They wouldn't bow to the truth. And so they were offended and they fell away. They walked no more with him. Notice this, then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you also go away? You do really have this option. In some way, this option is set before us at all times. Will you? You're going to have, even in the course of the day, you're making a decision today whether to stay with it, stay on course with Jesus, or to go away. I mean, he's not questioning these unbelieving Jews, he's questioning the twelve. Will you also go away? Following on to the full salvation involves far more, beloved, than just a one-time decision, a one-time obedience, a one-time repentance. Christ doesn't just give us the option and the freedom to reject Him when we first hear the gospel. He continues all throughout this walk to give us the option of rejecting Him. Of going away. That's what he's saying. Will you also go away? None of us have to stay with this if we don't want to. If it gets too hard for you, you're not, not wanting to continue it, you don't have to. You can go back. But what are you going back to? If you've been along the way with Jesus and you go back, you're never going to get back. It'll be impossible. 
It's impossible to renew again into repentance. Those that were enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift made partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted the powers of the world to come, the powers of the Word of God, seeing they have turned back and gone back. It's impossible. Where are you going to go to? So many things. Let me close this message by giving you briefly. Who's going to make the cut? Now this, you, I know this, this, is, this sermon, this message at this point, you say, well, preacher, who can make the cut? Who's going to go on? Who's going to accept the difficulty, make the needed changes, obey Christ, believe Christ, and follow Him all the way? Look at verse 60. When Jesus said to his, when many of therefore of his disciples, when they'd heard this, they said, "This is a hard saying." Who? They, now, this is a good question. Who can hear it? Who is it that can hear it? That's a good question. Who is it that's going to go on with Jesus? Who is it that's going to allow this highly personal relationship to bloom and blossom, where everything you are and everything you do and everything you believe is exposed to the light? Everything naked and open before. Who is it? Good question. Let me tell you who it'll be. First of all, it'll be certainly not those who have only flesh and blood to work with. Notice verse 63. Jesus said, It is the Spirit that giveth life. The flesh profiteth nothing. If you only have flesh and blood to work with in this business of following Jesus, you're not going to make it. You cannot overcome bad habits or bad beliefs if you're not indwelt by the Spirit. You must have the Spirit. It is the Spirit in us that quickens, enables, empowers us with the ability to put sin to death and to do the will of God. Your flesh... Your own natural powers just cannot find strength to overcome anything. It's the Spirit. You know, I've learned this, beloved, in dealing with others and their problems. If my own flesh and blood can't correct the problems in me, and I have to have the enabling power of God's Spirit to lift me up and above and beyond my troubles, how am I going to force my children to be right or anybody else around me to be right by flesh and blood? Beloved, I often would like to shake people by the neck and say, Can't you see what's out of order in your life? How this is affecting you? How it's hurting you? And it's right for us to reprove. It's right for us to order. But I'll tell you many times, I one time thought I had a big, bad, rebellious teenage boy and he was doing wrong and I was going to make him do right. He came in too late one night and I said, This is it. I said, I'm going to teach him a lesson. I jumped on him to beat him up. And he beat me up. <laughs> I tell you, I was in the flesh. Do you think by the flesh I can make it? Listen, flesh and blood, we can't. By flesh, it is a spirit. What, am I, what, are, 
When you got a problem, yeah, you can talk. Yes, you can reprove. Yes, you can give the truth. But you better get down on your knees. You better ask the Spirit to quicken the Word. Because that's the only way. It's the Spirit. If people come under conviction about something they need to do by the Word of God, if they are not led and enabled by the Spirit to correct that problem, it would be fleshly, dead legalism if they changed just to please us. Now the second thing about who it is that's going to make the cut, and Lord, who can hear this? Who can go on with the truth wherever it leads? Who can stay on course with Jesus? It's the Lord who decides who ultimately can. You know, it's interesting that Christ goes right to the source of any kind of spiritual progress, any kind of real relationship with God. He tells them in verse 65, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me or come unto me except it were given to him of my Father. Who is it that can accept these? Those that are given to Christ by the Father. You see, there is always this cause of anybody making any progress in your life. It's because you are enabled to do something that you could not do by nature because of the Father's grace. Coming to Christ, obeying the Lord, putting off sinful ways, putting on Christian character is a gift of the Father. And therefore, Jesus says, I had a whole sermon here that I could give, give just on why in the world. Do you know, realize what Christ is doing? He doesn't back down. He preaches to these people about predestination and election right here. He tells them. He's not ashamed to tell them, listen, you're not surprising me about the fact that you're offended and you're falling away. I know the fact that you cannot come to me. You cannot stay with me. You cannot endure to the end unless it's given unto you. By my Father. It's a gift of grace. And folks, if we make it, if we put off sin, if we stay persevering in this thing, will we be able to pat one another on the back and say, Boy, aren't you strong and smart? It was given to us. Amen? It was given unto us. It is given in the behalf of Jesus to believe in Him and to suffer for His sake. And finally... Those who stay with Christ are those who cannot be shaken off. That's what Peter expresses in verse 68 and 69. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Notice this. The other crowd, the half committed one said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Notice what Peter says. Lord, these words that you're telling that are so hard, so difficult, so penetrating, so exposing. These are the words of life. These are the words of eternal life. We don't have any option. Who is it that's going to stay with the Lord? Who is it that's going to endure? It's going to be those people who can't be shaken off. You just don't have any other option. You can't go anywhere else. There's not any uncertainty about you. In your mind. And what is at stake? You know who He is. You know what He says is true. You're convinced to the depths of your soul that you have no place to go. 
and that He is the way and the truth and the life and you're going to be committed to Him wherever He leads, whatever He says, wherever He goes. Follow me and I will give you eternal life. I'll assure you this morning that the alternative of not following Jesus is going to be really hard. To stay in sin, in the misery, in the bondage, in the defeat, and the hell that comes with sin, and going away. Listen, when you go away from Jesus, what do you go away to? Don't we want to stay with Him? Hey, Saint, oh, it's so encouraging to come back and go to different churches from time to time and see the folks that they've been going with Him when you were there before and they're going on yet still. Going on. Go on with Him. You'll never regret it. You haven't regretted it, have you? And you're going to stay with Him, aren't you? Following to the end. And he that endures, stays, perseveres to the end, the same shall be saved. And I'll assure you that the glories that are going to be revealed to you for having given up your life, turned away from sin, and following Christ are not even, the glories to come are not even comparable to any pain or suffering or. <laughs> or bothersome periods that you've had to deal with, it'll be worth it. You're going to be overcompensated. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Lord Jesus Christ that You've sent Your blessed Son to save us from our sins and call us away from ourselves, away from the world, away from problems, away from the bondages, that enslave us, that harm us, that wreck us, that ruin us, and to give us sweet deliverance, sweet peace, sweet liberty, holiness, happiness, joy unspeakable and full of glory. We want to follow on, Lord, to know You. Keep us on track. Work in us both to do and to will of Your good pleasure. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, isn't it amazing how Jesus turns to even the twelve and says, Do you want to go away? Are you going to go away? And that option is there before us. The security of the believer is not the idea that God puts you in a room and nails the door shut. You know, uh, the children of Israel there the night of the Passover. The blood was on the door. 
and they were safe inside, he said, don't go out, don't go outside that door. The door was not nailed shut. Don't go out there. But who would want to go out there? Why would you want to go out there and die? And they didn't. They stayed in those houses. Hebrews 11, I was thinking of that. It says, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, truly they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. That's right. Amazing words there in John 8. If, if you continue in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. You're My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. <clears throat> Those who receive the Word on the, the stony ground, it just has a little depth of earth, goes in a little ways. It says when the sun came up, they were offended. They stumbled. But what does it say? Because of the Word. When persecution or tribulation arises, because of the Word, they were offended. There's a lot of things in the Word, and it's a great, it's, it is a great blessing when you get to the point where you're willing to listen to what the Word says and not what you wish that the Word says. <laughs> I remember... Uh, sitting, uh, listening to somebody preach on Hebrews 6, and uh, looking at my notes in my study Bible that I had at the time, trying to refute what they were saying, because <laughs> I didn't like what they were saying. <clears throat> A lot of people do that. I've seen that, where they don't want to listen to the text of Scripture itself. When you get to the place where you say, Lord, whatever the Bible teaches, I want to know what that is. I really want to know what it is. That's what it is to continue in His Word. And He makes a lot of things clear when that happens in your life. Yes. Well, amen. We're grateful for everybody that's here. We're grateful for these words that the Lord has given us. Uh, we'll have the student Bible study this evening at 5.30 at our house. But right now it's time for fellowship and Continuing on there around the meal together. Anything else to share before we?